1: This is The Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Pru, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEEI. Woo!
2: Welcome into episode 201 of The Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget, Scott, how are we doing this week? Anything going on? Any hockey news to talk about? (laughs)
3: <laughs> uh just stanley cup final and bruce cassidy two wins away from a winning a stanley cup from doing what you know bruins came up short of doing in 2019 and i feel like you know i feel like that's all the talk around here is bruce cassidy is gonna beat the bruins to a cup first first year away he's uh looks like he's gonna get it done um you know i, I think we've learned you can't count out count out the panthers Came back from three-one down against the Bruins, but man, Vegas has really just dominated this series so far, and looks like Sergei Bobrovsky's magic is kind of worn off. And I don't know. I don't know if that Panthers team has it to come to come back against Vegas. Uh, that's a that's a really tall hill to try to climb.
4: Yeah, and I last episode we said, or was it last episode where we were? giving our predictions and um, Scott and I both said Vegas in seven. Brian, did you say in six? I mean, it looks like it could be even shorter at this point, but um, never count the Panthers out though. So that's, that's one thing for sure, but it does seem like they're outmatched and their depth has been exposed by uh, Vegas's depth for sure. And Hill's been playing really well in net for them. So uh, the the storyline that we have been, Following from both sides has been the, you know, the Kachucks of the world, like like we talked about last week. Um, would the Bruins have – would it have been a good move for the Bruins to try to get Kachuck even if it meant trading Pasternak because of all the things Kachuk has brought to the Panthers in the playoffs? It, and this round it hasn't made a difference for the Panthers yet. Um, he has, um, you know, found himself – a subject of conversation again with the hit on Eichel, um, his physicality, he continues to bring it. But then when you look at the rest of the Panthers team, their they're depth just isn't there, especially offensively. And then Gudis took that big hit or, I mean, technically it's kind of him trying to hit uh, Baryshev, but he ends up getting hurt. That's a, a key injury if, you know, if he's not able to play or if he's not a hundred percent. So, that's what you're dealing with with Florida and then embossed in the storyline is the Bruce Cassidy thing for sure because um, we can play hypothetical and we did a few times when the season ended before we knew that Cassidy's team was about to make the finals so now that they're there and only two wins away from winning a Stanley Cup potentially uh, it definitely just adds more fuel to the narrative that you know did the Bruins make a mistake moving on for him and what would their season have looked like? How far would they have gotten if they'd kept him? And that's something that we want to start out the podcast with. So Brian, this is something that I know you want to vent about a little bit. So we'll go to you.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a lot to pick at here. A lot on this bone to pick at. It's not so much a venting session. Like I texted you guys before the podcast recording and I totally admit that Bruce Cassidy's message was stale in Boston and that the players weren't responding to him and that a change rightfully or wrongfully so needed to take place. Fine. What, what annoys me and the question that I still have is why was his message growing stale? Like, Like all like Bruce Cassidy, I can't, I understand he might be a little bit in your face, but one thing he doesn't lack is transparency so from 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 my perspective because players just didn't like hearing from him what they were doing wrong so often and what they needed to do better I guess simply put it just it, it 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 makes me feel like a lot like a lot of players in that room were just a little bit mentally soft and 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 it was kind of a mutiny and and you know to hear to know the story about Jake DeBrusque and Cassidy and how they didn't get along—that's one thing, right? You could see that on TV, watching the games, like they just didn't really get along too well. But when you have leaders like Bergeron and Marchand and 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 guys that have been around the block playing playing on that in that Foligno, like I just I just don't understand why the why the veterans instead of being taking the coach's side and being like, guys, if you want to succeed in this league you have to be able to handle tough love instead of going, going with that approach and knowing that Bruce Cassidy is doing it out of, because he cares and he wants the best out of them. It just seems like everybody just took the side, like the player sides and include like, like felt bad for themselves. And so I, I'm not debating that the message didn't grow stale and that a change wasn't needed. I'm just asking why, because clearly this Bruins team didn't excel with a new coach in the playoffs this year. So, I just you and like you watch Bruce Cassidy and not only is he going to potentially win a Stanley Cup, he's going to do so by eliminating the team potentially in four games that beat Boston this year in the first round. So I just think that it's fair to question if the players just lacked a little bit of mental fortitude under under a hard nosed coach. That's all I'm saying. And if that's the case, that just pisses me off because you have to be able to take that if you want to win and you, you can't just have your ass wiped because you're a professional athlete like you have to you have to be able to grin and bear some some tough love and I just feel like maybe maybe they got to enjoy going to work better every day without Bruce Cassidy big bad Bruce Cassidy around but you know what maybe if they stuck with him a little bit longer and, and maybe just or just bought into him a little bit more and didn't allow his message to grow so stale because Maybe they'd be hoisting a Stanley Cup, or I don't, I don't know. It's 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 tough to go back in time and stuff, in the revisionist history. I just don't like it because the the 2011 Bruins team we watched win the Stanley Cup would have never, they would have never been like pouty and oh we need a coaching change, and it just speaks to a lack of maybe just, I don't know, maturity maybe. But that surprises me because there's a lot of mature guys that have been around. So I'm just confused by the whole situation and. To see it playing out the way that it is for Bruce Cassidy, it just makes you wonder. And I think it's fair based on how Boston played this spring.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's fair. But I also think like there was a long time when the players did buy in and did listen and the leaders did work with Cassidy to try to get through to younger guys. And my feeling on this has always kind of been like, I just think, especially in hockey, like almost any coach's message. Eventually gets stale. Like if you look at I looked this up yesterday. Do you know how many coaches in the NHL right now have been in their current jobs for longer than five years?
4: Mm, Mike Sullivan. Three. Three, the okay.
3: Three out of thirty-two coaches have been in their current job for longer than five years. Mike Sullivan won, John Cooper, and Jared Bednar out in Colorado. So there's a lot of turnover and like obviously a lot of those teams you know aren't successful aren't making the playoffs every year but even ones who are pretty frequently in the playoffs tend just tend to make changes um you know i think cassidy does have a style that can over time grade on players and yeah it's absolutely fair to look at the players and say well be tougher you know so what tough shit um but you know it's not it's not like it was just that he was critical of them. We also heard things about the ways that he was sometimes critical, where it'd be, you know, like almost like comments under his breath on the bench that players would hear, or, you know, they'd make a mistake and he'd like immediately just bench them, say like, you're not taking next shift or something like that. And and it led to feelings of, you know, I can't screw up because I'm not going to play the rest of the game or the rest of the period. If I do. And, Again, if you want to take the stance that, hey, tough shit—that's the NHL. Get over it. Like I, I think that's fair. I also just think that the days of of players having to put up with tough love are vanishing across all sports. Like I think more and more we're seeing that players, coaches, by and large, tend to have more success and tend to do better with today's players. Um, so, you know, like, I, I do understand why some Bruins players felt like, you know, like they're kind of getting sick of hearing from Cassie and kind of getting sick of some of the ways that, you know, he would react on the bench when there was a mistake. Um, you know, I don't think it was like a mass, like this long line of players, like outside Don Sweeney's office demanding for him to be fired. But I think there was the openness of them telling Sweeney, you know, look, he's not, he's not really getting through to some guys anymore and his message is wearing on some guys. And I think Don Sweeney heard that and and felt like if, you know, if we're making one or two more runs at this, it might be time for a different voice. And it's the same decision they made before when they fired Claude Julian, you know, another really good coach um, who's style and message had just kind of gotten stale like players felt like they were being restricted under Claude Julian and, you know, couldn't, couldn't play like the way that they wanted to. Um, And so that became time for a change there. It's, you know, Bruce Cassidy replaced a really good coach here. He replaced a really good coach in Vegas and Pete DeBoer. Um, So I think, you know, criticism of Bruins players, totally fair but I also like still can't sit here and be like, Oh, they made a mistake letting him go because I kind of just think, you know, when you get to five, six years with one coach, like more often than not, it, it does get stale and, and it kind of becomes time for a change.
4: Yeah. But like, I, I understand that. And, and people will say, you know, would all the players have come back. If, if Cassidy was the coach, what, you know, what would the dynamic have been like with that? But just to remember the last, when they were in the playoffs the last series against Carolina with Cassidy as a coach, he was pushing the right buttons. And it was the guys on the team that just were not playing to the standard that sure? he needed to. He, you, I mean, you I
3: remember, I, I remember second guessing Cassidy. Like I, I, I thought he waited, I thought he waited too long in that series to put Parsonak on the top line. Like I thought he had him buried with, with Eric Halla on that second line where they were just getting demolished in their own zone and not even, getting offensive chances. Like I thought he stuck with that too long in that series.
4: We were all saying that it would be a scapegoat move at the time. We were all saying that it would be a scapegoat move to blame Cassidy for the exit in that round. And to be the guy that takes the blame for some of the other um, issues, which, you know, we were blaming on Don Sweeney, the adding the wrong pieces, like adding Eric Hala. Um, you know, not necessarily that was a year that Felino didn't play great. Um, you know, it, there were, there were some moves made in the offseason that we were blaming Sweeney for and saying that you kind of gave Cassidy not a lot to work with, but he did what he could with what he had. And, you know, he would have had even more to work with this season. Um, he would have had Lindholm for a full season. Uh, you know, you, you look at at the way that he maybe would have handled the goalie situation differently, which obviously we can criticize the goalies from last playoffs, but he was willing to make the switch. Um, I don't know, it's all revisionist, of course. But I think Brian, what you were talking about with um, you know, why did the players let it get stale? That's that that's the big question. Like, were they were they giving up on him for just personality reasons? Did did was the message not really working? It it clearly is working in Vegas, so uh it's, it's hard to say, but I don't know. I never was really – I didn't really think Cassidy needed to go yet. I, Cassidy himself said he was pretty shocked when he had that meeting with Sweeney and Sweeney let him go. And he wasn't – it wasn't like he was on his way out. Like it wasn't an obvious thing that, oh, yeah, you know, cut ties with the coach. It seemed like that was – You know, it wasn't even 100 – I'm not even sure Don Sweeney was 100% sure that he wanted to do it. So, um, it's definitely worth talking about. And and Sweeney did lead the team to a final in 2019. Um, Obviously, we know what happened with that. But um, he – and we talked about this. When you have a group that the Bruins had that, you know, it's their last window and they had one of the best teams that we've ever seen, uh, you want a guy – more than more than likely, you want a guy, a coach that has playoff experience. More playoff experience. Cassidy has more playoff experience than Montgomery does, and it, it's uh, it's hard to say. You know, the Bruins would have made it farther or not, but it's it is easy to see that Cassidy was still a great coach and and still does a good job in the playoffs, even though he's doing it with Vegas. And it just adds a little bit of salt in the wound.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, there, there's just, at the end of the day, I just felt that none of us were sitting here this time last year saying that the reason the Bruins lost to the hurricanes was because of coaching. Uh, The reason the Bruins lost last year is because personnel wise, they, they lost their number two center in the summertime and just didn't adequately replace that. That play, I mean, like Eric Holla was fine, but the the Bruins, the Bruins were they were they were a top two center short last year, and that just kind of trickled throughout the the rest of the lineup, and and it affected where you put act right, Scott? I mean, that was a balancing act. That's what that was. So, I mean, we weren't really, I don't really recall us too too often last year saying put passion back with Bergeron and Marchand Cause if you remember Hall Halla and Pashnak were pretty good the second half of the year and it did help balance out the lines and Jake debrusk did have a better bounce back second half of the season. So yeah, there were times in the hurricane series where maybe it was appropriate and, and, and I do remember them doing that, but I just, the, the biggest thing for me is he wasn't the reason that they lost last year. And, and the only time I can, I consider like if you think about Bruce Cassidy's tenure in Boston the his first season, he took over halfway through. They lost to the Senators in round one. They were a goal away from the comp from the Stanley Cup finals, the Senators team. Um, the following year, you beat Toronto, you lost to a juggernaut in Tampa. The following year, you go to the cup finals, you lose in game seven. That one all we all believe that Bruins left one up there. And then in the following years the bubble, like you can chalk that up to that. I do think that Bruce Cassidy was potentially outcoached in the Islanders series. I didn't see a reason the Bruins should have lost that series. But then the Hurricane series, it just the person that wasn't there. So for me, I just, and like I said, I know that once once the players feel that the, the the message is stale and a change needs to happen, I understand it's happening. And to your point, Scott, shelf life, I get it. What annoys me is just, I, I just, it's fair to question now, why, why was the message stale? Is it because he really was that bad of a guy? Or is it because the players just like, they just, they just, I don't know. Like, but whatever the reason, I just feel like, Bruce Cassidy, if he had this Bruins roster, that's a big F because you guys will say, and not not you two in particular, but people will say, like Bridget mentioned, certain guys may not have come back. Had Cassidy been here, and to that I say that's bullshit because it's like, yeah, well, do you, like that's, that's 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 insane. Like the, the guy, had like a six sixty seven winning percentage as a coach, he wasn't a, he wasn't the devil. Um, but if he had this roster, like you're not losing to Florida, and, and and I just feel like if the Bruins, the the only way that this could have been, and I. And believe me, like, losing in the first round is torture for this Bruins franchise. But as it turns out, if the Bruins did go to the cup finals, and you never know about the butterfly effect, but I don't think there's an interconference butterfly effect happening here. I think if the Bruins went to the finals, Vegas still would have done their thing and got to the finals. So if Bruce Cassidy beat the Bruins in the cup finals this year, that would be just a movie script ending for him. And, and that would be a really tough pill for the Bruins to swallow. And I got to be honest, last year, when he went to Vegas in the off season, I kind of thought that I was like, what if, what if the bruins like, of course the Bruins will probably play Vegas if they go to the finals this year. And that, that is how it would have played out. And if it did play out that way, I think Cassidy probably would have beaten the Bruins just because he knows so much about them. And, and I don't know. So anyway, it's just, it's a fun conversation. It's um, I'm really happy for Cassidy. Like I, I clearly want him to win. I have like, like he deserves, he deserves it so much. Like he was a great coach here. I, Very happy for him. So, hopefully, he can finish the job. It's just definitely, it's of course this is this is how this how it goes with the Bruins, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I'd also like to see him win. Like, famously, he was always very good with us in the media. Um, You know, if you listen to some of the whispers, maybe sometimes too good and too honest with us, and that's another thing that you know I think players didn't like sometimes is. You know, because he always he would always say, well, I don't tell you guys anything I haven't told them, and I think that was accurate. However, I think there's also things that players probably wanted to keep behind closed doors that he was willing to tell the media. Um,
4: but Scott, do you ever recall being in a media session and thinking he, like, crossed the line with any of that stuff, though? Like, was not, there anything that stuck out to you where you're like, oh, he shouldn't have said that about DeBras? See, or,
3: like, not to me, because, like, me neither. I'm in the media, so I, I want to hear that stuff and like no but like you still
4: have a gauge of what might negatively affect the locker room if you say it
3: i mean that there were there were times though where like i would think where he would say something critical about a player and it would like at least cross my mind that like uh like he's probably not gonna be thrilled that that he said that type thing um never did i think it was like oh my god like he's just like attacking this guy and tearing Mm -hmm. him down like i never thought that but there were definitely times where i thought like Players probably not going to be too thrilled that he's telling us that. um
4: and by but, the way, like his his issues with Jake Dubrasck are the ones that are like most prominent. But if you recall, when Dubrasck started playing better, he started rewarding debrusque with better yeah. shifts on better lines. It wasn't and spoke spare.
3: very positively about yeah. him, like towards the end of last year. Yeah, yeah, it was. Just, so just to like address one other thing though, so on last year's loss. I wasn't trying to make it sound like they lost because of Cassidy or anything like we, you're right. Like we covered that. Obviously he wasn't the reason they lost. I'm just saying like, I think there's been a little bit of revisionist history trying to make it sound like Cassidy didn't make mistakes or like wouldn't have made mistakes that Montgomery made this year. And I I just think he did. I think every coach does. And so like, that's why I was highlighting that of like, I think there was last year in that series, like Cassidy at times was too slow to make adjustments. Just like, you know, I think this, this time you can rip Montgomery for being too adjustment happy and throwing his lines in a blender. You know, you, you mentioned like Cassidy was quicker to make a goalie change last year. Fair the year before he was too slow. He stuck with two too long while he was dealing with a torn hip labrum. So, you know, yes, Bruce Cassidy, wasn't is a great coach. I'm certainly not arguing against that. I just want to highlight like he's also not perfect. Like he did make mistakes. And yeah. yeah.
4: My my last point about him and just to make the comparison with Montgomery, um, which is why that this story gets a little bit more fuel, is because one of the criticisms about Montgomery after this playoffs was that he maybe let the players make too many of the decisions on their own, and Cassidy would not have done that. Cassidy was mm. more in control, I feel, of the situation. I, it seems- I
3: mean, you I think remember think lots of times where looked- Cassidy. I remember lots of times where Cassidy said he deferred to Bergeron too. So I'm
4: talking about I'm more more so talking about Ber- um Olmark.
3: Well I well, like I, I just said it to 2021 against the Islanders. When they stuck with Tuga Rask, Cassidy's explanation was I talked to him and he said he's he's good to go.
4: Yeah, but so, I also I mean, feel like his it's literally the
3: same exact mistake.
4: His relationship with, tu- with Tuca was different, though, because Tuca had been with the program for a long time, and, like, Omar is kind of a newer person that came in while Cassidy was there, and I, I just think that the dynamic would be different, especially after, you know, learning his lesson with Tuca, especially. I'm not sure if he would have messed around with the injuries, um, and kind of let the players say whether or not they were ready as much as Montgomery did. Um, there's just very different coaches, very different styles of coaching. I wonder how he would have handled the defensive rotation with Grizzlick, with Clifton. Um, I wonder how he would have handled that differently. I highly doubt he would have thrown everything in the blender, like you mentioned, because chemistry, um, you know, not wanting to mess with the chemistry of, some of those lines, uh, it's it's hard to say. You know, do they have as great a season? Probably not. Like the record probably doesn't get broken. But then, if, if we're talking about a team that makes the playoffs, still, like I kind of would have rather had Cassidy pushing the buttons back there. Maybe that's just because we saw how disastrous some of the decisions were by Montgomery. Was it Game Five? That was the time they started with the crazy lines and switch back to it Uh, i switched back to some of their normal stuff pretty quickly but like i don't i don't think cassidy's he's got too much experience to just try something crazy and new that they don't know if it works in the playoffs like that
2: so i i know this conversation started with bruce cassidy and just because of the the relevancy of him being in the finals and the bruins getting rid of him but i think for me and if i'm really if if this was like a like a psych psychiatry lesson and I was talking to a therapist or something like that <laughs> I think for me it's really difficult for me to admit because I love these players I think deep down like I'm actually just like pretty annoyed at like Bergeron and Marchand I think because they're they're Hall of Fame players certainly for the Bruins and and Bergeron NHL Hall of Famer Brad Marchand I mean Make an argument already.
3: I think he'll be in.
2: Mm-hmm, me too. Like they are, they are truly two of my like the my favorite players I've ever, I've ever watched. And so for me, it's like certain things pop into my brain because the coach, because your your points, Scott. Coaches change, rosters change, but there have been some. They they have been, and I know they won the Stanley Cup in 2011. I'm with you on that. Like I get it, but. There, but they've been part of some just like really inexplainable efforts, in my opinion, in some really big games and under d- three different coaches. And I'm going to give three different game sevens that pop into my mind with each coach that I just was asking where they were. And the first one would be 2000. And, uh, well, actually, th- there's four. So there's 2012, the year after they won the cup and you, you lost to the Capitals in seven at home in the first round. And that was an upset. Right. You're the cup champions. And, and you kind of lost on a, you know, Joel Ward scored, But I think Tyler Sagan had the only goal of the game for you. And it was he was like diving in the crease. And like so you lost that one. You lost 2014 to Montreal at home. That was a dud of a game. Bruins just no showed. Um, that's all. That's under Claude Julian. Bruce Cassidy, of course, 2019. People people rewrite that game to sit there and say, Jordan Bennington just stood in his head and he's the only reason that the Blues won that game. It's not true. Like the Bruins outplayed the Blues in the first period, but they weren't, it wasn't the ice was not as tilted as people remember it. And then the, the, the last 40 minutes of that game, the Bruins got completely outplayed and, and no showed game seven. And then of course with Jim Montgomery this year, y- you, they literally no showed the first 40 minutes of game seven. I know Krejci had a power play goal, but like it was, it was the, the garden was booing. That was so, some
4: of and, the worst hockey I've seen.
2: It was. And, and so for me, the co- there, there's different examples of Game 7s in Boston where under Claude Julian, Bruce Cassidy, and Jim Montgomery, regardless of the coach, regardless of the surrounding rosters, some of the Bruins' key core players over the last decade plus just have failed to perform in those moments. And I know there's other ones where they have. I know. Game 7, all the Game 7s in 2011, Game 7 and 13 against Toronto. I, I'm I, Totally, I get it. Even that game against Toronto. They were down, like we all know they were down. That was even the first 50 minutes of that game, the Bruins sucked. So, but I'm just-
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
2: I guess I'm just like, as, as somebody who's watched this team like my whole life and I've cheered for them, I've like watched almost every game and I love these players. I think part of me, it's, I am mad at the players because time and time again, like they have failed and, and oftentimes not shown up in in these big moments. And it's like, how many times can you sit there and just let that happen and sit there and just lick your wounds before you learn. And I know they won an 11, but, and, and now, and now it could be all be for naught, And so it's part of their legacy. And I'm just really, I'm beyond the coaches. Like there are constants with this team of, of every time you've, you've come up short in these games and really like not shown up like those, like a couple of key plays have always been there. Yeah. And, and
3: 2018, 2019 against Toronto, two other wins, but Brian, I think you're you're getting towards something that I've started thinking about more only because I feel like I've heard this. I expected to hear this from talk radio shows and have, but just from like friends and fans, like people who are like legitimately really frustrated with the players and, or who are like cheering for Cassidy in Vegas, not just because they like Cassidy, but also like almost to spite the Bruins because they're just, like, so annoyed by this whole situation of they got, you know, a good popular coach fired, basically, and then choked in the first round. And it, what's crossed my mind is, like, is this actually going to, like, have an effect on some of these guys' legacies? Like, if this – if Bergeron and Krejci do retire this offseason, like, the the final lasting image of the end of their careers is – that choke job in round one. And then the coach that they didn't like winning the Stanley cup, like in his first year away from Boston. I mean, that's tough. Like, obviously those guys are ultimately like in the big picture are always going to be loved and they're going to get their days when their numbers are retired. And like there, they will be legends forever. I'm not saying it like ruins their legacy or anything like that, but I do think like this is kind of becoming part of it. Um, And especially the idea that they left at least one, arguably two cups on the table. Um, You know, we don't know how this would have played out had they held on against Florida. You know, maybe they run into trouble in another round maybe they run into trouble now in the finals against Vegas, but uh, there does seem to be like, there's now been enough years of disappointment that, you know, 2011 gets further and further in the rearview mirror. And it's, a, you know, a lot of disappointment and a lot of letdowns since then that I think don't totally overshadow that, but certainly factor into the equation and are are part of it, just like 2011 is part of it.
4: Yes. And so, like, another thing that you were saying, Brian, and, and, and you too, Scott, like people are maybe turning on the players a little bit. I want to transition this conversation into something. We we want to react to a clip that was from one of our shows on WEI, Jones and Megal, because yesterday they were talking about Bergeron, and they were kind of turning on Bergeron and blaming him for, you know, not being healthy and dragging the team down. I mostly disagree with what they're saying. I'm going to play it, and we can react to it.
1: I'm not waiting around for Bergeron to let me know when he wants to be done now. Especially after last year's stunt. Do you think
4: that they owe him that?
1: No. They've already they've done that for him like three times already. Like they well, just did yeah, it last How many times are you going to do it? How many times you going to do it? Every single year? Forever? This is like the, this is like the Belichick no, but, thing now. I
4: know. It's, it's just a matter of how you think that a player like that should be treated at the end of their career. A player career. like what?
1: He's won one cup in his career and he wasn't the captain of the team. It's like, look, he's a good player, but like. I gotta, tr- I gotta treat him like he just he gets to stay no, for as long as he wants who the, forever. Who the
4: franchise has tied their culture to heavily, the whole Selkie trophy thing, blah right. blah 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 blah. Like I understand that that doesn't mean anything to you, it doesn't, but it means something to them, right? And so they should. I cannot... Their culture
1: is losing in the second Correct. round. It I mean, should, that's what that, the culture. That's is what I'm doing. saying. Well, it it's should, it losing should mean in the first round now. So. <laughs> now it's the first it should, round. It yeah. should mean less to them. Like what? What does that culture? What? Where does it get you at the end of the day? We mock heat culture all we want. We should be mocking Bruins culture because at, le- at least heat culture, you mix in a finals appearance every once in a minute, They might win the thing this year. Bruins culture, Ugh. like let's not mock heat culture anymore if we're going to champion up Patrice Bergeron.
4: How do you think Marshan feels if they decide to cut He's, he's probably He's summer. probably
1: not thrilled, and you know what? Then, then.
4: Then you cut Marchand, yes, too?
1: Then yes, then that's maybe your avenue for making your bold Kachuk decision, you know, like your Kachuk-level decision. Okay. Marshan, you're not happy that Bergeron's gone? Okay, now you're going to be all hot and bothered and upset? Good, you can go. You can go. And I like Brad Marshan, and I like his contract, but he's also valuable, and if you can cash that chip in high, that's probably not the worst idea in the world. You'd still have a good core if you're talking about keeping Bertuzzi and keeping Orloff. You have McAvoy. You have Pasternak. You know, Zaka finished much better than I thought last year. They got much more out of him. I feel confident in him as a top-six guy. There's more there than I would have given it credit for. All
4: All right. So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I guess maybe starting with the Bergeron stuff. Um, you know, him saying that why why do the Bruins owe Bergeron to let him come back if he wants to come back? Throw that to you guys first. Uh, to me, cap situation plays a lot into it, and they didn't mention that at all. Uh, you're not they don't just have another number one center that they're just going to find out of thin air. Uh, so anyway. Thoughts
3: on that? Yeah. I was going to say, like for starters, Bergeron is at worst, still a top 10 to 12 center in the NHL. And if you can find another one of those who will play for you for two and a half million dollars, then great, go get them. Uh, Good luck with that. So that's number one. Why, you know, if Bergeron wants to come back on cheap money again, you say, yes, please. Thank you. Because you're not finding any other center who's that good, who's going to play for that cheap when you're right up against the cap, for one. So the stuff about, you know, does he, like, deserve to go on in his terms or whatever, I guess I would say, like, if he were really in decline and, like, noticeably hurting the team, I'd be like, okay, yeah, you might have to make some tough decisions. But... He's not. He still had a really good season. Playoffs aside, injury, late season injury aside and all that stuff. Like, he was still playing at a really high level most of the year. So He also
4: played a majority of the games up until they started to kind of rest some of the older guys. Like, he he, had, for a long portion of the season, played every game.
3: Yeah, he had played every game until they basically forced him to sit. So, yeah. and by the way, could have, had they not basically forced rest on him, it could have been the first season of in his career that he played all 82, which I'm sure would have meant something to him, but he also understood why they wanted to rest him and went along with the plan. Um, but yeah, I mean, look like, like because of how they went out this year, everything's fair game. Like everything's open season in terms of ripping the players and the team's leadership. And that includes Bergeron. So, like, I'm not surprised that you know, that some people aren't, including Jones, aren't willing to give him a free pass and aren't letting him off the hook. Like to an extent, I think that's warranted and fair. Um, But if you're telling me, like, if you're asking me, are you better next year with Bergeron back for $2 million again, or plan X to try to fill that spot, you're better with Bergeron because – you're either you're not finding another center as good that you can afford or you're trading off so many other pieces to get another good center that you can't afford that. It kind of all washes out in the end and you haven't actually gotten any better. So that that's my, like if Bergeron wants to come back you're you're taking him back because he's better than your alternatives because you're too cap strapped to really do anything else that's meaningful in terms of replacing him,
2: yeah, I I agree with you, Scott. If if Bergeron wants to come back, and I and, and look, I know I was just talking a few minutes ago about how I'm starting to get a little disappointed with some, you know, lackluster performances at home in front of Boston fans over the years. But that's that can be true while I'm still saying like, yeah, if he wants to come back, you bring him back. What I would say to Jones is like. Well, what like what what do you want them to do next year? Because if Jones wants them to to like to to tank, that's like that's fine, um, but they don't have they don't have as we currently speak a first or second round pick this year or next. So tank. And I don't think that
4: was his point. I think he's saying that Bergeron hurts the team, like in a team like a contending team.
2: Well then. In- Okay, well then, in that situation, I would just defer to what Scott was just saying. Like, how, like how does that make you better? And and you don't have the money. A and there's there's just it just it doesn't sense.
3: So listening listening to more of the show and not just that one clip, like I think Jones's idea is he wants to turn over the core and like change the culture, which is kind of what he references with like the the idea of like the Matthew Kachuk trade, which you know I've we talked about that last podcast too about that could have potentially been on the table last summer um but i think jones wants something like that like he wants to kind of turn the page on this core turn to the next core and like make some sort of move that shakes shakes up the room changes the culture like i think i think that's what he wants more than like a full teardown
2: okay, okay. and so and so that's and so that's fair it's just that for bergeron in particular as it pertains to bergeron It's he's either retiring or he's coming back. Like there like there's no you're not trading him to another team. So so in that so in Jones's situation, what he wants is for the Bruins, hypothetically would be either Bergeron retires or Bergeron says, I want to come back, and the Bruins say no. Okay, fine, let's play that out for a second. In one of those situations, if Bergeron didn't come back, in that situation, if Bergeron doesn't come back, then yeah, I'm 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 f- honestly, like, I don't think the Bruins are even close to winning a Stanley Cup. First of all, even if Bergeron comes back next year, it's going to be tough for them to build the roster they want to build to compete for a cup just because of the cap constraints that they have. But if he doesn't come back, this Bruins team, they're not they're not winning a cup next year. You don't have a number one center. And I promise you that they don't have the, the resources to go out and get a proper one and still have a great team around them. So in that situation, I personally would not, like, you need to – you, if you're not winning and Bergeron's gone, I would sell high on Brad Marchand if Bergeron goes. Because why? Because you need to you need to start recollecting draft collateral and and, and, and prospects and anything that you can for the future of this team. But the Boston Bruins ownership they won't do it. I, they won't do that. It, I would be stunned, absolutely stunned, if they made if they took steps if they willingly took steps backward backwards to go steps forward in the future. Cause the, it's just not the way the Jacobs family operates. They want to be competitive. They want their playoff gates. But like, if you're asking me if I were building a team or trying to, trying to re rebuild a team going forward, like I know you have a couple of key pieces in place, but I don't know. It, it's a very tricky situation, but I would be very open to trying to sell high on Brad Marchand and a couple of other older p- veteran players. If you, if you find, if you find out that your number one center is no longer coming back and your team's, strapped for cash anyway i just don't think the 2023-24 bruins are destined for a long stanley cup run and i know the brew and another reason the reason that the bruins ownership won't want to accept a rebuild year next year is because it's the team centennial and they're going to want to have to they don't want to have to market this team as somebody who's trying to rebuild they're going to try to want to put a, a team out there next year for a lot of different reasons so um I understand Jones's frustration with the with wanting to shake things up. I, I I'm open to change because you know what, whether we like it or not, even if like like change is happening soon because Bergeron and Martian only have so many years left. So like we better get used to the idea of that change happening. Um, but I think he's being a little bit disingenuine when it comes to Bergeron and what he means to the Bruins and as and how he is as a player. But yeah, <laughs> and, I, I don't
4: know. and Megan going. In the Selkies and blah blah blah. <laughs> like, like yes, he got those awards. It's whatever. He probably doesn't give a shit that he got an award, but it's, it represents how good of a player he is and how good of a two hundred foot player he is. And by the way, he's going to win another one this year. <laughs> those aren't in the past. Like he's still playing like that. Like certain times during that, I wanted to hit my face against the wall. Um,
2: what would you? What would you two? What would you, Bridget? We'll start with you because, but because I just rudely interrupted you but what what would you do <laughs> yes. and, then, and then and then scott like, like would you would you be open to um to trading Marshawn if if bergeron didn't come back would you sell high on a player like that
4: me first um so i was actually just about to make this point that bergeron without bergeron who's your next leader obviously you know maybe they've been grooming charlie mcavoy a little bit but when bergeron was out of the playoffs it was Marshawn. Marshawn was the guy And, and I was watching one of the last behind the bees recently as well. And he's the guy in the room that everybody was respecting and listening to. And if you want to keep the same culture, which I do think that they like the culture that they have, I don't necessarily think that they need to blow up the the cultural aspect of it because, um, it's a hardworking culture. It's, you know, very accountable culture of players. Marshawn has taken over and matured into one of those roles. So. I, I also don't see this, them trading Marshawn as like a first option either. I think they have other options to move and that will make the team good enough that this is another playoff team at the very least, obviously not in as good a position as they were in this year. But if we're talking about being able to move Olmark Hall and being able to sign Bertuzzi, then if you keep Marshawn around, he could be one of your leaders. He could be your captain. Um, and you're not in as tough a position as it looked like you're going to be. And you're getting draft capital back from an all Mark trade. Um, not as much as if you had trade both trade both of those guys, but I think that's a better option for the Bruins than trading Marshawn.
3: Yeah, I think there's I think there's value in having Marshand as the next captain to kind of bridge things to the next era. And so I wouldn't I wouldn't want to trade him this off season I could be open to it if they're really struggling like they're not even hanging around playoff contention looking at it you know either this trade deadline or next off season because he does it he has a very tradable contract I mean six point one two million like this isn't a this isn't like a Jonathan Taves or Patrick Kane situation where it's like well yeah they could have traded him two years ago but no one wanted to take on, you know, three years, ten and a half million a year. Like Martian has a very tradable contract and there would be a lot of buyers. So I do think you could definitely get something for him, but for the Bruins, like I, I think, kind of to Bridget's point, like there's there's real value in having him as the next captain, as the next leader to sort of bring along this next group, because I'm also not sure that you know whether it's McAvoy or Pasternak, I think those guys are growing into more leadership roles year by year, but I don't know if they're really ready to be captains yet. Um, so I would not trade Marshand. I would definitely look in, be looking at other pieces, which, you know, is why we've touched on multiple times, you know, your Taylor Hall or, or Lena Solmark. Um But, you know, if things went South and, the Bruins weren't closed and maybe Martian wants, you know, go somewhere, have a chance to win a cup or something. I don't know. Like I could be open to it down the road, but in the short term, like, I think, I think you would want him around for the transition away from the Bergeron era.
2: I I will say, I think it's not that I disagree with you about Pasternak or or McAvoy not being totally ready for a captaincy, but Paschnack made his NHL debut in November of 2014. It's June of 2023. Mm. And he's also a 61 goal scorer and is one of the more prominent goal scorers in the world at his profession.
4: But we also Uh, know that not not Hmm? everybody has the exact, like, personality of speaking up. And, like, that's not really been his role in what we've seen.
2: I, I feel like he's more vocal in the room than, than we may know, because I, I in, in certain clips in the locker room, I always see him kind of stepping up and talking. But it, and but to your point, though, I mean, maybe he's not naturally that guy. Do they want him to be that guy? And and if they do, I feel like he, he's 27 years old or 26. I mean, he's been at least since he was 18. I mean, he's he should be ready for that at this point. Right. So, I mean, I don't know maybe but maybe he's not the guy maybe maybe they want McAvoy to be that guy i don't know i'm just saying based on league tenure and and, and prominence and status in the league and he's an outgoing person I, I do think he should be ready to take that at this point he's not 21 he's you know what i mean
3: yeah i i think it's it's fair you're right like he's not a kid but i i also think it's probably not something that really has come naturally to him like i said i think it's been a slow growth same with McAvoy I don't think he was really like a natural vocal leader from from day one I think yeah I think there's other guys who maybe were more like I think Brandon Carlo had more natural leadership ability kind of at a a young age but then it's you know is your captain going to be a second pairing kind of stay at home defender like you do want to be someone prominent higher up in the lineup so Yes, I think it it is probably McAvoy or Pasenak. Um, but I still think, I don't know. I think do do I think like they'd flop on their face if it got turned over to them right now? No, I don't. I think they'd they've learned enough, but I don't know. I just think there would still be value with Marsh and like I would like to see them. You know, I think one year of Marsh with the C, McAvoy and Pasternak with the two A's like makes a lot of sense to me but you know if, if you're someone like jones like who, who just wants kind of pull the whole band-aid off at once and and get going on the next era then yeah then absolutely like you can explore trading martian because like i said like he would still have real value it's he's still a really good player and it's a very tradable contract so um i guess i'm not totally opposed to it. like if you get blown away but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be my first choice.
4: That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> there's, there's just like, sometimes I just want to scream, but uh, now to the last little portion of it was about Bertuzzi and Orloff um, and a, attempting to keep Bertuzzi and Orlov. Now Orlov is not a guy that we really have talked much about the Bruins keeping because it kind of seems like he would be one of those free agents that um, just kind of doesn't, there's no cap space for. Um, so that was, I was kind of surprised when he, I wasn't surprised about him mentioning Bertuzzi, Um but I was surprised about him mentioning Orlov as another player that, that he wanted cap space for.
3: Yeah. I mean, I would like to keep Orlov. I think a couple mistakes in the playoffs aside, like, played very well and is exactly what you want on that left side to go along with Lindholm, because there's it feels like they have to keep searching for that over and over and over again, because they don't totally trust Grizzlick in the top four in the playoffs Four boards over his head playing that high in the lineup. So I would love to keep Orlov, but like, I'm just looking at evolving hockey. They project five years, $6.3 million a year. I just don't know where that money's coming from. Like you have to work. You have to do so much just to free up the money for Bertuzzi, who feels like more of a priority because he's younger that I don't know how you then free up even more to keep Orlov too. Like it's now, like now you're basically talking about you have to find trade partners because remember you still have to fill out the rest of your, like you still have an entire bottom six to fill out. And even if that were all AHL guys, that's going to cost about five million dollars to do, and if you have any hopes at all, you don't really want it to be all rookies. Like you want some experience there, but to me, like the only way you can pull this off is if like it's forget one of Holler, Almar, now you have to trade both. You have to trade at least one or two of those left shot defensemen, Grizzly, Forbert, Riley, and like you're maybe even looking at at now. Can you trade Charlie Coyle? I don't. Personally, I don't really think there's going to be much of a market for him at his current contract. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Bruins need centers anyways. So I don't really think that's on the table. But, like, you're talking about trading away, like, four guys minimum, maybe five just to have enough money to keep Bertuzzi, Orlov, and then fill out the rest of the roster. And I just don't think that's realistic. Like, I don't think there's enough of a market for some of these guys. So... It seems very unlikely to me, but, you know, if there were some miracle way to do it, sure. I I like Dimitri Orlov, and I think he probably has at least a few good years left. You know, he's not – I think he's 32, right? He's not like 35. So, um yeah, I would like to do that. I just don't really see how, how the Bruins get there.
2: I mean, I honestly can't think of a – I mean, besides – Pasternak and his 61 goals, and, and and obviously we had an interesting hypothetical conversation last episode about you know would we ever trade him for for somebody like Kachuk back in the day, but in all in all seriousness, like aside from Pasternak, like I and maybe Pavel Zaka just because of the importance of the position uh, that he's being asked to play going forward, and he did have a great year, but like I can't think of a forward on this Bruins roster I'd rather have over Bertuzzi, not Taylor Hall, I mean. Honestly, not even Brad Marchand, given his age. Like I, I would, like Tyler Bertuzzi, I, I would, I would take him for the next eight years or seven years, and I wouldn't Marchand for the next three. Like I just, like he, I want him at, at, to whatever the Bruins have to do to keep Bertuzzi. I want him on this team going forward more so than anybody. Like I don't care, at least up front. So if if you can find ways to like, there's there are no untouchables for me anymore after after this past year's performance. None. I mean. You can sit there and say McAvoy and, and Passion Act but like I really am just like, I don't care. Move who you have to move if you can keep this kid and have the cap space for him. So yeah, as as far as Orloff goes, like yeah, it's it's to your point. It's gonna be tough to do both if one or the other. It, for me, it's Bertuzzi, um, but I hope they find a way. I also had one other question for you guys before we go. Uh, It kind of popped into my mind when when you guys were talking about um, a little bit of the just somebody the the leadership and McAvoy and stuff, and just watching just watching the postseason run that Brandon Montour has had up into the Cup Finals, and watching the performance and the confidence that A Shade Theodore plays with for Vegas and. Obviously, Alex Petrangelo is a rock for for Vegas, as he was for St. Louis a couple of years ago. D- does watching any of these performances make you just like, just maybe just think about McAvoy, his playoffs this year and last year, and just and I know we've touched on it briefly in the past, but just like, shouldn't shouldn't he be like having some some of these just ultra confident walk the line plays? Like he 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 should be there at this point, and he does it here and there. But man, I watching McAvoy like he really is in my opinion at both ends of the ice and physicality wise and hockey IQ he really is one of the more talented defensemen I've ever seen play and 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 sp- especially on the Bruins and I just I watch like Shea Theodore like just make this great move on on Anthony DeClaire and um and you watch and score a goal and he's got a couple goals in the finals and you watch what Brandon Montour did against McAvoy and the Bruins and it's just like I know McAvoy should be doing these things. And have you guys – has this thought crossed your minds at all watching some of these guys play?
3: Yeah, it it crossed my mind kind of during and right after the Bruins series. But you're right, you know, watching other defensemen do it throughout the spring. Yeah, like I think Charlie McAvoy, for the most part, I think has been solid in the playoffs. But we haven't really seen him like – take over and look like the star that I think we all expect and that we've seen from him in the regular season. Like, you know, we talked about it this year, like he had that stretch. I remember it felt like it came like right after Bridget posed the question of, you know, who's having the better season, McAvoy or Lindholm. And I was like, McAvoy just went on like an absolute heater for like the next month. And it's like, wow. Like, yeah, this is a guy who can win the Norris, like who can do it all. And then you, we haven't really seen that in the postseason, and I think that's absolutely fair. Um, you definitely expect to see that from him at some point, and you you would have hoped, you know, it would have happened by now. And I know last year that shoulder injury he was dealing with, like that happened later in the Carolina series, so maybe it affected how that ended. Um, you know, and he had like that COVID boat and whatever so like that was a weird series for him for a couple reasons but this year yeah that i thought he was fine against florida but you expect a lot more than fine from him and it felt like that was a series that he should have been able to do more because florida's not the tightest team defensively like there was ice to be had and it didn't really feel like you saw him take full advantage of that you saw it there are like a couple shifts later in the series where i thought you saw him really involved offensively and starting to make an impact and it's like when you did see you're like huh wait why haven't i seen more of that through like the first five games so yeah did you want more there um i can't say i'm like worried about charlie mcavoy or, or anything or you know i'm not really thinking he's like oh, he doesn't perform in the playoffs, like, you know, maybe a few years from now if we still haven't seen it, I'll I'll think that. But, yeah, you would expect a little more by now and hope for more, you know, next time Bruins are in the playoffs.
4: Yeah, and I don't know what it is about – like, thinking back to the series, I didn't think McAvoy – was one of the reasons why they, you know, they failed, but I also can't really point to too many really impactful plays um, from him either. And watching Brendan Montour in particular, um, he seems to have reached another level. And obviously he was a guy that he was drafted. Montour was drafted in the second round. I think he was like number 52 overall, something like that. And he was at UMass when I was there. So I used to have to talk about him a lot. Um, He has really grown into a top NHL defenseman where he wasn't necessarily expected to be. And um, he's really taken his role and run with it. And, and um, you know, I think we've seen that McAvoy can be one of those impact players with a huge hit um, at the right time, or, um, you know, he has good vision on the power play. He has offensive ability, Um, not maybe as much offensive upside as someone like Montour, but, um, in general, he's a a big guy. Um, maybe it is, you know, just about maturing a little bit more understanding the moment a little bit more. I, I don't think, I think all the guys can wrap their heads around that kind of stuff, but, um, yeah, I think, I think you're right about that. It's, it's a fair, it's a fair thing to point out though. At the same time, it's not like we're sitting around and saying, Oh, you know, what's going on with Charlie McAvoy. It's just that some other guys really did take their opportunities and ended up shining in the playoffs.
2: Yeah. I just remember watching game three puck drops two seconds later. I think it was Anton Lundell's on his ass and and McAvoy put him there and set the whole tempo for the game. And he was unreal that game. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, do you expect that every single shift of every single game? No, but it's like, dude, that's like, that's, That's who you, that's who you can be at the highest level when you want to be. And I don't know. It's, and and yeah, he, he was fine. He was fine. But to your point, Scott, like, like fine's not good enough for, 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 for him. And, and I mean, like, I I
3: think of like the bubble series against Carolina too, where I think it was Jordan stall that he drilled Mm -hmm. and it felt like that was like a real momentum changing hit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He has so many ways that he can change momentum. Um, and, you know, it's not like he never does it, but it feels like there's more opportunities to do it than, than what we see sometimes.
2: Right. And Bridget, you made you made a point. You, you said something along the lines of he he wasn't one of the reasons that they lost. And that's like totally true. But it's like and I think this is kind of what you were referring to at the end. But it's like he, but he also wasn't one of the reasons that they won. Right. Like, like. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't just be, you, you like, he's supposed to be a difference maker in a positive way. And, and he does it at times. And he's been fine, but fine. Yeah. It's just something that came to my mind. I'm watching, Theodore, like, Shay mm-hmm. Theodore is not Charlie McAvoy, but like, he, he's mm-hmm. doing better than them in the spring. So, whatever.
4: They needed one of McAvoy or Lindholm to step up in the playoffs and play their best hockey. And neither of them did. And we find out about Lindholm's injury with his foot. But, um, you know, that's a little bit of an excuse and and explains a little bit on his side, but one of those two guys they needed, those are their two most elite defensemen um, that can do a little bit of everything. They needed one of those two elite guys to do more step up. And it seemed like neither of them rose all the way to the occasion.
2: No, you're right. And when you have two guys that should be Norris candidates, it's, you know, you got to have one of those. I mean, we're the, the devils aren't doing what they did back in the day. If Scott, one of Scott Stevens and Scott need I aren't, aren't, you know, performing the way that they were in a regular season. You can't just have, you can't just have Norris caliber defenseman just kind of go back into a, you know, being a shell of themselves.
4: And who, of a, was it you Scott that tweeted this? I saw this, that the Anaheim ducks decor from, I don't know, was it five or so years ago had like such an, it was such an incredible decor. It had Montour and Lindholm on it. And it had, it, they, Anaheim obviously blew up their team over the past few years, but at one point in time, their their decor was just insanely good. If you look at where the guys have gone to now and what the careers have turned into, um, and they were young at the time, like Lindholm was really young, Montour was new. Um, I gotta try to find it, but it D-more. was it, it was a like it was ridiculous the the decor that they would have had if they didn't just blow it up.
3: Yeah, that that wasn't me, but yeah, there was a ton of talent. I mean, Cam Fowler, another high pick. Like, yeah, they they had a lot.
2: So, so list list them off. So, yeah, so their D core was Cam Fowler, Shea Theodore, Brandon Montour, Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson, and whoever the sixth one was right. Yeah,
3: it was probably. I mean, Francois Beauchemin was still around. I always thought he was really underrated. Like, yeah, he was. He wasn't as young as those guys, but he uh, he was a really solid defenseman for a bunch of years there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that Ducks team, like, they, they did go to a couple of conference finals, at least one, maybe, but two. I think of, they went I mean, to two. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that, honestly, they, cause they, cause they lost to the Blackhawks one time. And it's like, and just, just one final thought on like, like what Jones was saying earlier about just how the Bruins, and I know we're up against it, but like, how he was just talking about how, like, eh, what's their, what's their culture? They're out in the second round all the time. And it's like, you know, you think about it and the Bruins, regular season wise over the last like call it 12 years, maybe it's call it since like 2010, 2009, like the Bruins, I think regular season wise have probably the second best record in the NHL dating back a dozen years. And they have been to three Stanley cup finals and they've won one. So there there's definitely, you know, they, I mean, they've, they've won probably what 15, 16 playoff series in that time, but like, the Kings have two cups in that time. The Lightning have three cups um, in the last 20 years. The Penguins have three cups. The Blackhawks have three cups. So, like, there there are enough miniature dynasties that have happened while the Bruins have had that regular season success. And I think that's also why it kind of feels like they've just, you know, left a couple up there and have fallen short, you know? I, I said
3: this in the final Sunday skate, but, like, to me, when you assume – You know, if there isn't another cup for this Bruins core and it's it's hard to see how they get there at this point, the Kings are like the one that like throws it all off because it's like you're gonna look back in this era and you're absolutely right. Like you should be talking if Pittsburgh and Chicago have three and you're just one behind, like I think that like that's fine. You're okay. You weren't quite them, but you were clearly one of the best of your era the fact that they only have one with how good they've been pretty much year in year out and the kings have two with like a much smaller window in terms of when they were actually truly competitive at like a stanley cup level like that hurts because it's like you were for this era as a whole you were way better than the kings and yet they have two cups you have one like well, that's that's the one that's hard hard to get past
2: the not getting that second one was crippling for them for the for this legacy because you look at Tampa Bay Tampa Bay has been to four Stanley Cup finals since 2015 four they're two and two they've lost two they've won two but nobody looks at Tampa as losers you know what i mean that that's not getting that second one you know, being being one and three versus two and three—that's a big difference. You can forget; everybody has to lose. There's always one loser of the year in the Cup Finals. Like, you know, to lose once out of three t- three attempts—that that happens. But to be one one and two in the three attempts, and then a couple of years where they should have probably gone deeper, like this year, and they just so it's 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 I don't know. It's like they deserve. You know, if you de- if you deserve the accolades for winning in 2011, you deserve criticism for falling short every other year and this is the way that it is sure Sure.
3: i I mean the other one is the the three times they won the president's trophy they won a grand total of one playoff series in those three seasons Mm -hmm. the 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 bubble year against carolina that's it Mm -hmm.
2: well they beat detroit two and 14
3: oh you're right okay so so two yeah
4: i yeah no the criticism is is there for sure um some sometimes just the the way that he puts it like that it's a culture like Bergeron like somehow saying it's a culture problem and Bergeron is some sort of a culture like cancer is like the absolute opposite of what most people would say about Bergeron for his entire career I'd love to see Andrew Raycroft and him have that conversation I'm sure like those two go at each other when they're on the radio together um one one of these days Raycroft will call him a bozo probably but uh that's it's just Obviously we have a different perspective than talk radio hosts because we're trying to talk about things a little bit differently than stir the pot, you know, and I fall for it every time. So <laughs> good job, Jones. Listen to Jones and Mego. Uh, listen to all our programming, but um, especially in this time of year where we are um you know, kind of just sitting around waiting on some of the news to drop, whether it be retirements, whether it be free agent signings, um, you know, contracts for Swayman or, or Frederick or whomever. And there's a lot that's going to happen this offseason. We are still, however, waiting on those things. So uh, this is what we we end up talking about. And by the way, just remember to send us your um questions we'll do another mailbag segment soon so comment on our youtube with whatever questions or even if you just want to throw an idea out there that we can react to um we've been doing that as well so uh and then scott what's the email
3: (laughs) skatepod at wei.com
4: send your questions Uh. to skatepod uh and we also are on twitter so any comments made on our posts there uh we'll look at as well
2: yeah. I mean, look, if you if you found the three of us to be a little melancholy today, it's just it's just because it's, it, you know, it's it's a fresh reminder during the cup finals of like what could have been. And it's just it's it's reopening some some wounds that have been healing the last what's already been two months, you know, but we have to also, the
4: weather. The last like six days has been the worst weather and we're like trapped inside because the air quality alert that's going on. And it's like I've just been inside like cooped up and it was hailing earlier. Like, I don't know. We, we've had some really miserable weather uh, time to stew on certain things. And uh, that's just, that's just what we're doing. Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to say. Do we have time? Can we do this? Um, the around. video Cut of, of the, the video of the female uh, reporter. Oh yeah. To look up her name. Um, Stiff arming the guy. Um, during the at at the Vegas Golden Knights game. So if you didn't see it, I'm going to have to pull it up myself. So uh, to, just to make sure I get, I get her name right. Um, but so she's, she's out. She's just doing a live shot at the Florida Knights game, game two. And she's kind of set up in the crowd and this fan. Samantha
3: tension, Rivera.
4: Samantha Rivera. It's been a viral clip. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's on like Bleacher Report. Open ice is, instagram and just a bunch of different places um and so she has to like knock this guy out of her shot she's just like no, no 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 like and and just like throw us to the highlights and then i was just looking at that like that happens like in my time broadcasting and i'm not even doing nhl games it's you know college hockey games but college hockey fans are drunk college dudes usually um this happens like they jump out and they try to like distract you or they say something weird or they like you have to just kind of keep your composure and it's so frustrating it was so funny to see your stiff arm that guy because like sometimes I don't know what I'm gonna do when they're trying to distract me and like I don't know jump in front of or behind my shot and I just I could relate to that
3: (laughs) yeah that was a plus net front position boxing out
4: just
3: mm-hmm. not letting yeah. anyone get into the paint
4: because i've had people at like umass Lowell try to and uh, like mess me up doing a like a pre-game like recording of like our open and uconn i had people behind me like making faces and stuff and i was like uh it happens and especially vegas that atmosphere at vegas was so loud and so rowdy but just a reminder please if you see us on camera don't just don't do it just don't like pop up and be like trying to be on tv and it's just very frustrating it's annoying
2: can until next year it makes
4: you... us want to stiff arm you it makes us want to do more than that probably but
2: <laughs> next year next time you're at a broadcasting you lol Bridget at the song guess so you just like see Scott jump in front of the camera with popcorn <laughs> ah, go go
4: around and then I'm just gonna palm his face right out of the shot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no't oh, right. don't, don't be don't be an ass hat right
4: Don't please don't. Um, yeah anyway I just
2: all thought right. that
4: was funny and that was one of the more viral things that happened with uh, the that I saw on hockey social media this week.
2: All right, uh, Bridget, Scott, any, anything else? No. Nope. nope. All right, well, then we will talk to you all soon for a mailbag episode. Thank you all for listening.